pray together. Oh, Father, we look forward to that day when we all get to heaven. For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, the second coming is, is an exciting thought. Oh, Father, as we look at your word today and as we give consideration to the fact that you are coming again, stir us. For those who believe, encourage us. For those who, uh, who have doubts, Lord, remove them, affirm faith. For those who are living in sin, I pray that in light of your coming, in light of, of what you have done to conquer sin and death, that they will believe. So now I ask, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. This year, we are focusing on what's next. We are, we are looking at uh, the, the next chapter of Scripture. And there's four sections of Scripture, creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. And so we're giving this entire year to thinking through what's next, what, what is about to happen. And this series in particular, we are looking at it in light of 1 Thessalonians. And we're now in the last two chapters where we're studying the rapture. And we're understanding what is going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. We understand, we who believe and, and understand scripture, we realize that this world is not as it should be, that things are broken, but Christ has not abandoned us. And so because Christ has come and has been raised, we know that he is going to return again to get us because he promised that he would. And so for those of us who believe, this gives us hope. Have you ever had someone uh, visit your house that you were really excited about having them come? Uh, we try once a year to have uh, some friends that we grew up with to come to our home and their, their children come and it's something we look forward to and we anticipate and we get so excited about because we love them and we love to be with them. And when they come, we tell stories and we create new stories and, 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 it's, and it's such a glorious time. For those of us who believe, we are looking forward to a visit from God, aren't we? We know that Christ is going to come again. And when he comes, he's going to bring with him a new heaven and a new earth and a new reign. And we get to be a part of it. And the joy for us in life is this. This is as bad as it gets. This world as it is now, this is as bad as it gets for us. When Christ returns, then all things will be brought back into harmony and we will be with the Lord forever. And as we saw in the scripture last week that Thomas preached, we can encourage one another with these words and all the more gladly as we see the day of Christ approaching. Now, what we're going to see in our text today is when Christ is coming and what it is he's going to do when he returns. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Marlena Stokes is going to provide our reading. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Feel free to use it. If you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. We have more. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this morning we're going to look at five verses. And so Marlene's going to read for us verses 1 through 5, if you would. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. The word of God. Thank you, Marlene. If you would go ahead and be seated and let's, let's talk about this. Um, you know, last summer I was on sabbatical and a big part of my sabbatical was studying what it meant to have spiritual health. 
actually took a doctoral class and I read hundreds of pages and many books about spiritual health and, and what that means for a pastor, but also the implications for Christians and for our body of believers. And I, and I gave a lot of time into reading and to studying and thinking through what this looks like. And one of the authors that helped me with, was Teresa Vivilla. Uh, she is, uh, she is a, just a, a, a wonderful woman of faith who lived you know, hundreds of years ago. And, and I love the way she talked about God. She had this quaint way of referring to God always as your majesty. Whenever she would pray, she would say, your majesty. You, you have heard me pray. You often hear me refer to God as father or Lord. Whenever she would pray, she would reference God as your majesty. And so I took time last summer and, and, and a couple of times this year to discipline myself to take an entire day. And whenever I would talk with God, which was regularly, I would refer to him as your majesty. And it was so helpful to me. And it's also helpful to me to think about not only God as your majesty, as Teresa V would, would discuss, but also the very image of the Christian life itself. This is what she wrote hundreds of years ago. A beginner must look on himself as one setting out to make a garden for his Lord's pleasure. On, on most unfruitful soil, which abounds in weeds, his majesty roots up the weeds and will put in good plants instead. What a beautiful picture. Here she refers to God as the king, as your majesty, but also challenges us to picture our own life as a garden. So do that for just a moment. If your life were a spiritual garden, and let's say it is, what does your garden look like today? Is it covered in weeds? Does it have any fruit? Does it look alive at all? See, Christ has come and he has removed what was, was, was not fruit bearing and he, he implanted the seeds of the gospel into our life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gave us new life. And that new life is meant to look like Jesus. So as we grow and as we learn, as we begin to lean in to the authority of God in our life, our lives will more and more look like Jesus and we will multiply, we will make disciples. We will see others come to saving faith through our influence and we will be all about the kingdom of God. We will be focused on what God is doing in the world and daring to join him in what he is doing that others might be saved. Does that describe you? Is that what your life looks like? Is that what your garden looks like today? Or does your garden look dead? Does your life look dead? Does it not look like Jesus? Is it not making disciples? Is it not focused on the kingdom? What is very important that we all understand is that the king of glory is going to return and we are all gonna have to give him account for our life to him. See, what he has done, he is going to demand that we give an account for it, for every grace, for all his love, for his mercy, for the cross, for every moment, for every resource, we are going to have to give an account to the king for our life. Scripture is very clear on this. Romans chapter 14, verse 12, it says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every soul ever conceived will stand before holy God and have to give an account for every word, every thought, every deed. We read again in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. 
And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, not, that is not to atone with it, but to, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That is to return, to, to draw his people and bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And for those of us who have been saved by his grace through faith in Christ alone, we will be with him forever. This is God's plan and this is going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to return. He is going to come as king and he is going to bring judgment. Now, many of you know my story. You know that I was saved at the age of 15. And, and I, I, I would go to church and most of the time, half the time, I wouldn't know what was going on. I, I wouldn't know what was happening in the sermons. I wouldn't know what the prayers were about. I wouldn't know what the scriptures were about. And, and then when I got saved, the spirit of God began to give me insight into the truth of the word and in the truth of what was being taught. And about that time, there was a song that was sung that was so striking and stunning to me, not only because of the content, but because of the way it was sung. I, I honestly thought that the man who was singing it would not live to see the end of the song because of the way he was exerting himself. He was an, he was an older guy. I, I was saved in a, in a Baptist church. It was a suit and tie wearing Baptist church and, and they were always very appropriate. They always behaved during church. I mean, there was, there was, you know, there was nothing that wasn't planned. And so I, I'll never forget when this song began to sing, people began to clap in the middle of the song. That was unheard of in our church. Somebody even stood up and clapped. And I thought, they are misbehaving in the Baptist church today. Somebody's going to get in trouble. But this song, it was so moving. It was so stirring. It stirred me, not only because I thought that I was going to die, but because also the, the, the song, because of the power of it. Uh, some of you will know this song. It came out years ago. And, and when it was sung, everyone seemed to know it but me. But, it, but the, the title of the song was, The King is Coming. How many of you know that song? The last verse, all right, the last section of the song, it would say, I can hear the chariots rumble, I can see the marching throng, and the flurry of God's trumpets spell the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding, heaven's grandstands are all in place, heaven's choir is now assembled, start to sing amazing grace. The king is coming, the king is coming, praise God, he's coming for me. And the guy that was singing this, when he got to this part, he was, the king, you know, he had that deep voice. I wish I had, the king is coming. Have you ever heard someone sing it like that? Well, he was singing like that, and it got to the last verses, praise God. And most people would take a, right? But he didn't breathe. He kept going, he's coming for me. And so he started carrying it out. And his head started getting red. I thought it was going to pop. I thought he's going to pass out. And it was a miracle. He lived, right? And it was great. And I was like, wow. And all the people are misbehaving in church today. This is a good day to be at church. But then the idea of that song, remember guys, I didn't know anything. And so to hear that Jesus Christ, not only that he had come to save sinners through his atoning death and resurrection, but that he was coming back. Oh my, that's a game changer. See, if you honestly believe that Jesus Christ is coming again and that he is going to hold you accountable for everything you do in your life, it's going to impact the way you live your life. And can I give you a heads up this morning? The king is coming. And he's coming in two things. Two things I want you to see in our text. There's two things I want you to be aware of in his coming. Write these down. The first one is this. The king is coming in his time. 
The king is coming in his time. And, and, and write this down. Some of you, are, you need to hear this today. This is not what I want to preach on, but I want to say this to some of you today because I know you need to hear this. I want you to write this down. God's timing is always perfect. I know some of you are waiting, you're anticipating, you're expecting something, you're, you're wondering why something hasn't happened yet. God's timing is always perfect. If you're in sin, you need to repent first because God doesn't bless sin. But if you're living to the best of your ability for the glory of God and what you're praying for that you know that God wants for you, if it hasn't happened yet, God's timing is perfect. Remember, Jesus came at just the right time. It wasn't an accident when Jesus came. Look at, uh, this is Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died. What was the right time for the Messiah to come? It was a time when Rome was overseeing Palestine. It was a time when the virgin could give birth in Bethlehem, escape to Egypt, and then be, be brought to Nazareth to raise a child. Why? Because that was according to the plan of God given in the Old Testament. Everything that happened in the life of Christ was promised. These, these things were not coincidence. It was providence. It was God's plan. It was God's will that Jesus Christ be born when he was, from whom he was, to live the holy life and then to die on the cross to pay for the sins of all who believe and be raised on the third day. Don't forget, Jesus said that he was going to die and be raised on the third day. Don't forget the Old Testament said that he would be born in Bethlehem, be born of a virgin, be, come out of Egypt, be raised in Nazareth to live a holy life and to die as a suffering servant. All of that was promised. Jesus Christ affirmed it. And Jesus also said, I'm coming again. Everything Jesus said he would do, he did. And here was what we can know. What he said he's going to do, he will certainly do. He is coming again. And Paul in this check section of, of, of 1 Thessalonians begins to explain how he will come back, when he will come back. So when is he going to come back? At the perfect time. Time is a very important concept that, that we need to understand. Scripture speaks of time. It, it, again, look in our text. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. It's important that we understand why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, felt that we did not have to have anything written to us about the times and the seasons. See, there is an assumption here. There's a very big assumption here that we understand the times and the seasons in which we are living. Paul uses here two distinct Greek words for time. And, and so you see here in the translation, times and seasons. These, these two words here are chronos for time and, and kairos for seasons. I appreciate the work of Mark Buchanan. Great book. I highly recommend The Rest of God. If you want to understand Sabbath, what it means to truly rest in God, I, I cannot, I, I, this has really been a game changer for me. I, I really recommend it to you. Look what he says about time. The Greeks have two words for time. One is sacred time. The other is profane. The one that is profane, the, the first word is chronos, all right? So guys, go ahead and put that one up. The first word is chronos. Familiar to us because it's the root of many of our own words, chronology, chronic, uh, chronicle. It is the time of clock and calendar. Time is gauntlet. Time is forced march. The word derives from, uh, from one of the gods in the Greek pantheon. So there was a Greek god uh, and his name was chronos. Uh, chronos was a nasty minor deity, a glutton and a cannibal who gorged himself on his own children. He was always consuming. 
So this idea of time, of chronos, chronology, time on a calendar, time on a watch, it's profane. See, this time, it's always consuming. It's taking what is and what will be and making it what was. It, it is always taking. It's never satisfied. Our time is it's ticking away. Right now, our lives are being consumed by time. It's eating away at, at, at what is and what will be. But there's another word. It's a sacred word. It's the word kairos. Let's, let's look at this word. The second Greek word is kairos. This is time as gift, as, as opportunity, as season. It is a time pregnant with purpose. In kairos time, you ask not, what time is it? It's not about, okay, what time is it? It's what is this time for? Kairos is the servant of holy purpose. Kairos is sacred time. Kairos is a special moment. It's a moment of importance. It's not just passing away. It's what makes life meaningful. And so when Koheleth, that is the, the writer of, of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, when, he, when his work was translated out of Hebrew into Greek, which is the Septuagint, we, we understand what it means by time. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, this is what it says, for everything there is a season, kairos, and a time, chronos, for every matter under heaven. And you remember the birth song for everything. Turn, turn, turn. There is a season. If you go back and read Ecclesiastes 3, it will say there is a time for this and a time for that, a time for this and a time for that. That word over and over in the Greek is kairos. There is a sacred time, a sacred moment. It's not just time taken away. See, right now, everyone in this room is experiencing either chronos or kairos. There are some of you, you're looking at your watch and you're thinking, my goodness, there's only two points. How long can he go today, Right? And you're just trying to get out of here, right? You're just trying to stay awake. And yes, praise God, he's coming. Can we go? Because you're just trying to get through it. Others of you, this is kairos. This is sacred. Right now, the spirit of God is alive to you. And you're aware of, of your own life and his presence. And, and something's happening in this moment that, that, that goes beyond what any of us could do. Only God can do this according to his word. Tomorrow, many of you are going to go to work. You're going to go to school. Some of you are going to be at home with children. Some of you are going to be in an office. Some of you are going to be in a, an automobile. Some of you are going to be out and about selling. And you're either going to be experiencing chronos or kairos. Some of you are going to be just looking at the watch, trying to get through the day, trying to get through the class, trying to get on with it. Others are going to experience kairos. That time is going to be sacred, every moment of it. Here's my plan for tomorrow, is to make every moment sacred. From the moment I get up to run till I get at home late tomorrow night after elders meeting, my entire day is going to be full. It's going to be long. And I believe because God is present, every moment can be sacred. We were coming home from Florida. For, for many, a drive home is a drudge. It's just chronos. It's just time that's eaten away. But for me, it was very sacred because I was able to listen to sermons. I was able to listen to worship songs. I was able to, to experience God. There was actually time. I like to leave early in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and get those people to go to sleep and quit talking, right? And so when I get in the car, I spend an entire hour just listening to the reading of scripture. And then almost another hour just listening to God just talking to him about you and me and life and what all's going on and what's happening in our world. And what could have been just a drudgery of a drive, it became a sacred moment. It was holy time because God was in it. Now, I know some of you, 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 you're, you're not there. You, 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 don't, you don't get 
you know, what this is about. And I understand because you haven't been taught. I had to learn this. Three resources. Don't write them down. I've already tweeted them. Go to my Facebook page. Three resources I recommend to you. The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. If you're a busy, busy person and you're thinking, how am I supposed to have sacred time when I've got little ones running and diapers to change and a job that, that never ends? Brother Lawrence understands and he can help you. Thomas Akempis wrote The Imitation of Christ. If you're interested in how to live the story of Christ in your life, he will help you. And if you want to understand how to live in a, just live in prayer, to pray without ceasing, Hearing God by Dallas Willard. I know some of you think pray without ceasing. Is that possible? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's normal. It's normal to live a life in the presence of God. Why? Because he's there. And all of the time of a believer is sacred. Why? Because you have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. So every moment of our life is holy unto God. And it's important that we understand, as Paul says here, concerning the times and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. The time that we're in is kairos. It's sacred time. We're in the kairos of the already but not yet. We're in that time when the kingdom has come but has not fully come. Christ, when he came, he brought the kingdom of heaven. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. When Christ came, the kingdom of God has come, but has not come fully. So we're in this season, this sacred time from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. We're in this time when, when we are answering the very prayer of the Lord, the Lord's prayer. What does it say? You know this When in Matthew chapter six, your kingdom come, your will be done. Say it with me on earth. This is the time we're living now. What is happening on earth, uh, in heaven is now happening on earth in us. What's happening in heaven right now? He's being worshiped. He's being praised. He's being pursued. He's being delighted in. What is to be happening on earth now in us? He is to be worshiped. He is to be praised. He is to be served. It is his kingdom that is at work in us and through us. This is a sacred moment. And we're going to be held accountable for it. Jesus Christ is going to come back and say, what did you do with that time? What did you do with the blood of Jesus? What did you do with the gift of the Holy Spirit? What did you do with the kingdom of heaven? Thomas Weekly asked a very important question last week in his sermon. It's a question I want to ask you to ponder again. If Jesus was to come back right now, would you be ready? If Jesus Christ came back to judge your garden, what would it look like? Is it bearing fruit? Is it, is it representing Jesus? Is it pursuing his kingdom? Or is it covered in weeds? Is it dead? Is it, is it having nothing to do with the kingdom of God? Understand we are all gonna be held accountable and, and we don't need to be surprised by it. This is a crucial question because Paul wrote, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Are you ready? Are you ready for judgment? Has your sin been forgiven? Remember, God has, has created a design. God's design is that we would live in harmony with him. But because of sin, there's brokenness. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ has come to die to pay for sin. He has been raised. He is alive. So if we will repent and believe in Jesus, we can pursue and recover God's design. We can, we can have our lives made holy by the blood of Jesus. And the time of our life can be holy because of the presence of Christ in us, through us, producing this fruit, making this garden beautiful, making this garden what God created life to be. Is that what you would describe yourself as today? Would you say, this is, this is my life? Friends, Christ is gonna come back. He's going to judge your life.
Last week, Thomas talked about what it's going to be like when he comes back. Look back to chapter four real quick. Look in verse 16. When Christ returns, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, Last week, when Thomas played that horn, I got chills. Y'all remember when he played that, played that last week? Well, I listened to it online. And I was sitting on a balcony and it was a cloudy day. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, here we go, right? Because man, I, and I'd literally played, Lord Jesus, come. What better place to be resurrected than Florida? <laughs> I mean, what a view, right? And just to be taken up, I mean, it'd just be awesome. Friends, Jesus is coming back. And, and, and it can happen any moment. So I, I want to ask you again, what if, that, what if that trumpet, what if that horn was to sound for real right now? Are you ready? Do you really want to give an account for the life you've lived up to this moment? Do you really want to say, here, King, here's the garden you planted. Is this the way you want it to look? Is this the way you want it to be presented for all of eternity? Will it really bring glory to God and blessing to you? Understand, Jesus is coming. He's coming in his time. But why is he coming? This is an important, important question. Why is Jesus coming? Why is the king coming? Write it down. The king is coming to reign. He's coming to bring rulership over this world with a new heaven and a new earth. Understand this, that there there are many who are going to be surprised by the coming of Christ. We should not be. We may be surprised at that time, but we should not be surprised by the fact that he's coming. We should be preparing for it. We should be looking forward to it. Those who now find their meaning and purpose and peace and security in the things of this world, they will be surprised and they will be disappointed. Look what it says in the text. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. For the people who say, hey, right now, this is great. Life is good. I love life without God. I want to live this life without God. I want things to keep going. This is peace. This is security. I don't need God. When the king comes, it's going to be awful for them. Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. There is going to come a day when the the redeemed of God, we will be taken up. The dead in Christ will rise first and then we who remain will be taken up. There will be a time when we will, we will come with God. Is that going to be a good day or a bad day for you? Look again in Matthew 25, verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's going to be one of two ends for us all. Only the righteous will go and rule under his reign with him. Only those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And for those of us who believe, this is exciting. 
This is good news. We're, we want him to come. Again, verse 31 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as, sheep, uh, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For those of us who believe, we know that we will come under his reign and we will be delighted to do it. We will be thrilled to do it. Why? Because we are children of the light. Because we are looking for his coming. We are living in light of his coming as the light. Verse four, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. For those of us who believe, we are to live as children of the light. And if you aren't, understand, scripture is very clear on this. You have no hope. First John chapter one, very clear. And take this as a warning. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses, cleanses us from all of sin. Understand you're in one of three boats right now. Either you're in the boat of no hope and that is because you have not repented of your sin and trusted in Christ. It's because you are not looking to him as your identity and purpose in life. It's because you're not living for him, you're living for yourself. Or you have false hope. Because you claim to be a Christian, but you don't live like one. You claim to be a child of the light, but you live in darkness. And you have to understand what you live like reveals what's true in your heart. And so stop being fooled and deceived and stop deceiving yourself. If you are not living as a child of the light, then you're a child of darkness. Doesn't mean that you're not gonna sin. No, Romans seven is very clear. We all fight sin and we all have to trust in Christ. But if you're not fighting against sin and you are happily pursuing sin and living in sin, you're lost. And not only do you have no hope, it's a false hope. You're actually gonna stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? Didn't, didn't I go to living hope? Didn't I attend church from time to time? Didn't I show up? Didn't I give a little? Didn't I do something? And he's gonna say, I don't know you. You never loved me. You never lived for me. He'll say, look at your garden. It produced no fruit. It's filled with weeds. There is no light. There's only darkness. But there are those who have hope. There are those who are living with hope, who have a living hope. And these are the children of the light. These are those who know that Jesus is returning. They know that he has come to die for their sin. And they are now living to make the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it is their delight because the master is their love. The majesty, the king of kings and Lord of lords is your hope. Does that describe you today? Is, is the coming of Jesus something you're excited about? His reign, is it something that you're looking forward to? He will come to reign. Philippians 2.9, look what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone is gonna confess that Jesus is Lord. Some will do it gladly and some will do it begrudgingly. Some will do it with arms raised, 
thankful to see the coming of his majesty to bring his rule on earth. And you know who that is? It is the person, it is the people who now love the king, are living for his purpose and are now surrendered to his leadership. They see him as their master and they can't wait for his coming. If you are not living in, in, in love of Jesus, if you are not living under his leadership, friends, you are lost. When I come home, many times I'll, I'll, be, I'm, I'll be loud. I don't know why I'm just a loud person. That's just how I am. I just make a lot of noise and I can't sneak anywhere. I'm just loud. And so whenever I come home, typically my dog knows I'm coming because I'm loud. And many times Charlie will come and I'll open the door and he's like looking to see what is making all that noise. And then he sees me and his ears go up and his tail starts wagging. You know why? Because the master has come home. The one he loves, the one he serves, the one he's glad to see. Now, if one of you men come to my house making noise and you open the door, he's not gonna be glad to see you. And his ears will go down and his tail will go down and he will either run to me to beat you up or he will attack you. But either way, it's not gonna be a happy thing, right? So it is with the coming of Christ. If when Christ comes, you see your master, you will smile, you will cry tears of joy, you will celebrate, you know why? Because you are living already under his leadership. You've already been saved by his grace. If not, you will fear his coming. You will hate his coming. You will despise his rule because you despise it now because you will not live for him. Your garden is a mess. It is not producing fruit. It is filled with weeds and it represents the very death of a person who is without God and without hope in the world. And friends, I wanna beg you, if that is you, to repent and believe in Jesus. Ask him to give you new life. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Some of you, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ, but your garden is a mess. You've got weeds and junk that have, that have accumulated there. Friends, repent. Get that sin out of your life. Stop allowing it into your life. Live as a child of light. And then for those of you today who have friends that you know are dead to God, I pray as I was talking about the return of Christ that you began to think about family and friends who if Jesus returned today, it would be the, it would be the worst day of all eternity for them. If your heart isn't breaking for them, friends, come and ask God to pr and ask him to change your heart because your heart is heart and your heart is wrong. But if you have friends and family that are not ready to face Jesus because they don't know Jesus now, come pray for their salvation and ask God to use you to share the light of the hope for you to be the one who makes them a disciple. Let's pray together. Father, I know now that there are many in this place who are stirred by the truth of this. Now, what that means for them, I, I don't know. It, it may be that there are some today who need to come and get on their knees and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and take over my life. Make my life a garden that produces a beautiful fruit that looks like you. 
There are some who are already yours, Lord, but they've got weeds in their life, sin. Hear them as they come and ask you to forgive them and as they commit to remove it and to live for you. Then God, for those who, who are mindful of friends and family, there are some today who need to come and say, Lord, save my dad, save my mom, save my brother, save my sister, save my daughter, save my son, save my best friend, save the guys on my team, save the girls at school, save those folks down the street. And Lord, if there's no concern for the lost, I pray today that there will someone who will say, God, save me. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You are our hope and our purpose and our meaning and our life. And so as we praise you with this and we reflect on this, be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.